We read this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, well then who could be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, well how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. That's Psalm 44.22, by the way. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and if you could put another thing in there, it fits in the list, can't, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me. Lord, You know how to speak to every one of us individually as well as as a family. Please do so tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would powerfully, radically minister to us. Lord, immerse me in your spirit. Overcome me by your Holy Spirit. That you would just put me on like a jersey. And that every one of us would just be sucked into your word and engulfed. And and, and, and Lord, just captivated tonight by what you want to tell us. And Lord, even the things that may be relatively older truths, Lord, make them fresh tonight. Plug them in, Lord. And Lord, just kind of like those things that that you just discover and go, oh, I have this. Awesome. Lord, may we do that tonight. Lord, as we reach into our spiritual pocket, bring this thing out and turn it on for us, Lord. And may us tonight, may we just be revolutionized by the truth you're going to tell us tonight. So Lord, I'm your servant and I'm just here to say thank you, Lord, for in advance for what you're going to do. Rock the house, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final say. Now, this is, of course, we love this chapter because it's so pregnant, full of all of these beautiful promises. I mean, it starts with the idea that, that there's therefore no condemnation. That's kind of where we started this whole thing. And we went from no condemnation to nothing can separate us. Now, I, the, the problem with it is, is we grab a hold of these cute little promises and we tend to forget that there's a stream of thought throughout the whole thing. And I just kind of want you to consider that for a minute. <laughs> Not that I'm going to be able to read this. I just have it here for security. Um... Follow me in this for a second. Paul walked us through this concept, God did through Paul, where he showed us that since in the beginning there was just simply sin, everybody universally is guilty of sin, and whether that is the sin of our own conscience, that standard, or whether we were having a a standard imposed upon us that was somehow religious, we had a standard from which we sinned against, and therefore stand guilty before God. First two chapters. Chapters 3 through 5, now God moves from sin to salvation. Very simple. Now with that the case, we have, and, and, and it's just like this beautiful climax, he hints at it back in 116 when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And so he tells us that there's going to be the salvation, but let me start laying out why you need to be saved because everyone's a sinner and they stand guilty before God. That's what you need to be saved of. 3 through 5, now that we recognize we're all guilty, there is a God who looks at every guilty person and wants to save them. 
And he does so by transferring that faith, that trust you had in your works, and now putting them on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And with that, that has been never been God's plan B. That's always been God's plan A. We see that whole thing borne out with Abraham and David. We see it with Abraham's example in David's song. That's what he shows us in chapter 4. Chapter 5, now that we are saved, we have all of these radical benefits that come with it. Here's your Benny package. We have access through this faith to this grace at which we now stand. There's, we have this peace with God that we never had before. And we can even relax in the fact that even in our troubles and our trials, they're never purposeless. But God has a plan in each of them. And with that, he starts bearing out this idea that there was this old guy, and now he starts introducing the old Adam and the new Adam. The old Adam, the one who brought forth death into the world. The new Adam, the one who brought forth life. And as we start to see that, we're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. There's the old Adam, there's Jesus, the new Adam. Okay, of the two, I think I'd rather be more like the second one. And he goes, well, funny, you should think that way, because that gets us into our third area, the area of sanctification, chapters 6 through 8. In 6 through 8, we've gone from sin to salvation, and now to sanctification. Sanctification just means being set apart. Now please understand, the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, started making you weird. Now, maybe some of you were weird before that point, but this is a different kind of weird. This is actually an awesome kind of weird, because you're alive, you have joy, you have peace, You love people you would have hated before. You hug people you would have punched before. You pray things that aren't always imprecatory. You know, like that, break their teeth in their mouth. But now you're like, Lord, bless those people. You rejoice when people persecute you. That is weird. And praise God, we get to be that kind of weird. Here's the funny part. God's Holy Spirit continues to make you different because you are alive in a dead world, spiritually. And the funny part is, there's a part of us that still wants to look like the rest of the world. So we're actually fighting the work of God in our lives to try to look like everyone else. Here's God saying, I want you to be joyful. And you're going, but people will think I'm weird. And God's like, they already do. Get over it and be a good weird. Be honest. I mean, if this went, and the worst part is, when you have that argument, you're on a train, and God's like, just praise me right now, and you're like, oh, people are going to think I'm weird. You, they think you're weird when you're arguing with God right there. She's talking to herself. She's talking to herself. Who's that person who's talking to herself? Oh, she's probably a Christian arguing with God about being different. That's the idea. And he's constantly making you different. In the end of it all, tell us there's an old man like the old Adam, and there's a new man like Jesus, and every morning you get to wake up and say, hmm, which one of these do I want to put on? The problem is, some of us are like these crazy divas that we have like 15 costume changes an hour. Back to the old man. Oh, back to the new man. Back to... And it's almost like you're dealing with those people. It's like, okay, who are we dealing with now? The old Marcia or the new Marcia? The old Jay or the new Jay? I mean, and you become, well, it's like, and to be honest, some of us were like, I don't even know. think I was good a moment ago, but I, I'm running back to my flesh. God's like, you know what? Now that we agree that the old Adam's kind of a rank, nasty guy, do you mind if I kill him? And you're like, yeah, okay. And he goes, well, good, because I already did. At the cross, I killed the old Shirley. I killed the old Naomi. I killed the old Bruno. I killed the old Mark. 
I just wanted you to celebrate that with me. Because if you think that guy's awesome or that girl's awesome, you'll be angry about the thing that I did. It's kind of like going, I missed my cancer. Oh, if I could just get my AIDS back. It was so nice. God, that's the way he looks at the old man. He goes, now, with all of that in mind, here's some conclusions. There is therefore, because God killed that guy, and he says, he says, by the way, since that's the case, and since you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised in the newness of life, consider that old guy dead. Don't go play with him. Don't invite him out to things. He's dead. You think it's weird being alive? It should be weirder for you to drag a dead guy with you and go check out my old me. He's dead. But don't you like him? No, he rots. He stinks for a reason. So God says, now that we recognize that, and you were to reckon that guy dead, you're dead. No, we're not going to go out and play. I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to talk to you. Any more than this, you're dead. Leave me alone. Now he's like, there's therefore no condemnation. That's chapter 8, verse 1. For those, listen, 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 who walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, who walk like Jesus, not like Adam. Because you got the choice of the two. And as long as you're going to walk like Jesus and with Jesus, there's no condemnation. Because that Spirit set us free because we're no longer slaves. We are sons. We are children now. And because we're children, we're free. That's the first part. And then the second part says, all of creation bears forth witness to this because all of creation cannot wait for gotcha day. You know that day when finally the parents get to come and pick up that child that they've been investing in for years to adopt. And there's a day when our Father is going to come and get us. And it's gotcha day. And all of creation will benefit. And I get to realize, looking at Adam, that all of the creation around me suffers or benefits by my person that I choose to put on. If I put on the old Adam, all of the world around me is going to suffer. I will never sin in a bubble. That becomes a problem. On the other side of it, if I put on Christ, the entire world is going to benefit from that. And you go, well, that person doesn't look like they're benefiting. They're angry and, and calling me names and, and giving me that English look. Yeah, but what you don't realize is it's pricking their heart and the Holy Spirit's working on them and you've been used. And you're like, well, I don't like being used like that. That makes people aggravated. God's like, yeah, but if that's what it takes to take that goad and poke him to the cross, thank you for being a sharp stick for the moment. You go, I don't want to do that anymore. God says, but I do. Let me remind you, you're not the poker. You're the poke. Well, you're the stick. God's the poker. He's grabbed you and he's going, Arr. and someone goes, hey, hey, you ever like walk by someone, you smile and they freak out on you? Like you didn't even, I'm like, you didn't even say anything. Like, what does not matter? You're just always so happy. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, see, there you go again. Too bad. I'm not going to let you bum my groovy. I'm happy. I'm more than that. I'm joyful. Because in God's presence isn't just a portion of joy, but the fullness. Literally beyond what I can contain. So listen. Then he says, that's section two. Section three, and then we move into this. Section one, we're more than conquerors. Why? Because we're not walking. Because we're children now. We're not walking like the old guy. We're walking like a new guy. Therefore, we're walking like children. We're children of this God. We call him daddy, for goodness sakes. The spirit of adoption dwells within us. How could you condemn a child? Then all creation can't wait for that day of adoption. And then he says, look it. And I know this. Everything that's going to happen to me is going to benefit me now. 
Everything. And I'll tell you why. Because God had a plan to make me like Jesus. That plan happened before I said yes to him. So it isn't like God said, oh, now what do I do with Shirley? Or now what do I do with Smiley? Now, you know, it's like, we look at, God didn't go, oh, Penny. Wow, I didn't, didn't see that one coming. Don't, aren't you thankful you don't have a God like that? Could you imagine a God that you showed up on his doorstep and he went, whoa, wow, how'd you get here? I mean, praise God he knows everything. And he had a plan beforehand. And the plan was to make you like Jesus. So listen, I'm not condemned because I'm his child. All of creation benefits from that. All of creation around is going to benefit from that. What's crazy is the unsaved world around us is trying to save the planet. They don't realize that what's killing the planet is sin. Sin is what's killing the planet. God made that clear all the way back in Genesis. And God's got a plan to make me more like him and make you more like him. That's very exciting. So the only question left is, can anything get in our way? Isn't that the only thing left? Did you notice, in verses 31 to the end, there are four basic questions, and did you notice they all start, let me just kind of, you figure out it, listen, right? First of all, if God is for us, who can be against us? Second, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Third, who is he who condemns? Fourth, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What do they all have in common? They all start with who? Did you see that? The whole bottom, the bottom line of all this is this is the conclusion. This is the climax of the symphony. And in, an idea is introduced at the beginning, a melody line. Different parts come in to kind of add to it, and they counter, and they argue, and they do call and response, these cool little things. And then the whole thing builds up. It variates. And then at the end of it all, ba 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 da 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 I mean, because you get back to that theme, and everyone goes, oh, yeah. And we did it when we sang. There were certain times when we got back to the chorus, and everyone was like, yes. Oh, yes. And there's a reason for that. And this is it right here. God's taking us to the climax. And the climax is, my God is unstoppable. And praise God, because I'll be honest, the one thing that I try to mix into this, and I try to think to accept, like I could write that into the text. Nothing could separate me from the love of God, right? Or love of Christ. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's past, present, or future. It doesn't matter whether it's angels or demons or anything. Well, except for me. But he didn't write that in there. Who can separate me from the love of God? No one. That includes me. And here's the truth. Is that my God so loves me that he doesn't actually decide, maybe today a little bit, but not tomorrow. Here's the idea. Come on up for a second. Rodrigue represents the love of God. How's that for a great role? Okay. Now, when I'm walking with the Lord, that love of God's there to embrace, right? But what happens when I'm running from God? That love of God is on my back. And that's the problem. It didn't separate me from the love of God. I just enjoyed it less. Did you get that? Nothing. Now, here's the point. Is that even when you're running from God, what makes your life so miserable is that God's love didn't wait in the car when you went to the party. God's love didn't stop when you decided to turn on the, the internet. God's love, goes, I'll wait in the other room. I really don't want to watch this. The bottom line is, you know it's because you try to do what you used to do, and it isn't fun anymore because the hole's filled. And now that the hole's filled, you're like, wow. Now, I've actually seen something this week that I never thought I'd see. I saw, are you ready for this? Nathaniel Fulton. Full. I saw Nathaniel actually at a point where he wasn't hungry. 
was serious. And that was before the jelly deal. That was before the jelly deal. At that point, we were like, oh my goodness, right? The Bible says to a hungry soul, even a bitter thing or the bitterest of things is sweet. But the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Now, I don't know what your favorite dessert is. By the way, Nathaniel's is ice cream, just so you know. Um, which is nothing like jelly deal, let me just say that. Uh, well, when you get to that point when you're hungry and you get really hungry, you can get so hungry, you can actually look at your sock and go, hmm, that smells kind of like bread. My sock, maybe not yours, but my sock. But there can be a point, and even with Nathaniel, where he could be so full he would turn down ice cream. Now, I know that that sounds strange, but now follow me on this. This is a point God wants to make. He built us this way. Brazilian barbecues, for those of you who are familiar with it. You can get to a point when you eat, and it's like you, they don't, you don't even have to go up and get it. You sit there, and it's like gluttony fest. And you put this little, this little thing at the end of the table, and the guys just come by, and they're like, barbecued this, barbecued that. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know? and, but there gets to this point where you're like, oh, that looks so good, but I just I can't eat it. It's not, it doesn't look like it did an hour ago when I ate the other half of the cow. And here's the point is that when the soul gets satisfied in Christ, man, you just don't get hungry for those things anymore. And you try to eat them, and you're like, this doesn't even bring pleasure anymore. There is nothing that's going to be able to separate you. And here, the point is, there is no one that can separate you. Now, there are four questions, and I hope you can see, and let me, let me just start with this. There was a process. Look at the process. Here are the four questions, right? The first of them in verse 31, the first one is, who can stand against us? That's the first question. The second question, then, is who can bring a charge? The third, then, is who is he who condemns? And then the fourth is, well, what can separate us? Now, I don't know if you realize this. We just went through a traditional Jewish court case. It's really that simple. See, here's the idea. I'm just going to pick on Gina. <laughs> okay. Dear Gina, precious sister Gina, had just bought this beautiful little puppy. But this beautiful little puppy has this terrible habit of jumping out of the house and pooping on Naomi's lawn. Not at the moment because she lives at our home, but when she moves into her own place. Naomi's really upset about it. She has been offended. She, pro- she properly, like a good Christian gal, comes over and says, Sister, I just want to pray for you and for your dog. Because I think that there's going to be some spiritual discipline that's going to need to be done for your dog if he does, um, continues to leave me these gifts. Um, so, with that, man, Jesus, like, thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, I'll take that into consideration. The next day, you know, Naomi wakes up and her whole lawn is fertilized. She has, in essence, some form of traditional case. It's worse back, the, by the way, a couple thousand years ago because it wasn't a dog; it was a camel. They poop more. <laughs> Glad to find that on your yard. You got to really be careful. Now, here's the point: someone's got to be a judge. Someone has to go. And by the way, the traditional, there are ten laws of jurisprudence we'll talk about someday when we get to the Gospels in that point. But she has to bring this charge. Now, she's the offended party, so she has to go and say, all right, there has to be a very clear, established case. She's offended. That's the beginning of this. Now, 
she she just might have said, woke up one day and she just, you know, she was just jealous of, of Gina's hair, um, which actually, knowing Naomi, could be true. Um, and so she's like, I, I just don't like her because she's got nice hair. But then the dog thing happened. Now she's got a charge. So she started by kind of having a problem. Now she's got a charge. She's bringing the charge up. So she went from against to having a charge. Does that make sense? And she went from that then to that point where there's a judgment. And in that judgment, somebody has to, make a pa- to pass a judgment. All right, we're going to pass this judgment on you. And with that then, there's a punishment that comes from it. Are you with me on that? Well, according to Scripture, the greatest punishment... The one punishment God hates more than any other is death. But not death like death by hanging or death by stoning. Scripturally, death is simply a separation of two things that have to be together to to, to live. It's that simple. It tells us that as the body without the spirit is death. That's the idea. It takes both of those parts for you to live. You've got a physical body but a spiritual soul that kind of lives inside there. And without that, you're not living. Well, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you're not spiritually alive. Faith without works is dead. In other words, the idea of it is, is that you can say, I believe, but it's kind of manifest in some form of action where it's not really a living faith. That doesn't mean you have to mix them. The idea of it is a real living faith does stuff. A real living person does stuff. I just got saved. I would expect to see something happen. That's the idea here. And in God's heart, the greatest Grief you'll experience. And I know this as I know my God. It's the day they don't say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because on that day, man will be separated from the author of life. Separation is the greatest judgment. Do you see that? Now listen. Here's our first question then. There's, so it is. Look, it goes from being offended or being, having, being against to having a charge to condemning, passing that judgment to ultimately separating. That's the ultimate. Think of it as a divorce case. That's kind of the idea here. Now, follow me on this. The first question then is, who can? Now, by the way, I just want you to recognize he answers all of his questions. Did you get that? And he answers them in a way that hopefully you get it right from listening. In, in every case, this whole thing should make you go, Oh, yeah, awesome. Here's the first of them. Look at it, verse 31. Well, if this is the case, God has this plan to make us like him. If God is for us, well, then who has a right, and that's the idea, but who can legitimately stand against us? Now, here's the funny thing. We do know that according to the book of Revelation 12, that there is an accuser of the brethren. We do know that. But here's the part you may not know. He has no legitimate case against us. And this is why. Because we didn't offend him. Think about it. The only, until we gave our life to Christ, we did nothing that offended Satan. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you started offending him with every breath you took. And the only reason why he has any interest in you at all is because he knows something more than you do. And that's how much God loves you. And the only reason why he, you're in any interest is he knows that hurting you hurts him. That's hurting him isn't, isn't God. That's the whole point of it. If he can get you to do stupid things against yourself, the Father will suffer, and that's what he's looking for. That if we knew how much God loved us, as much as the enemy knows how much God loves us, I think we'd live differently already. Now understand in this, He cannot have a legitimate case against us because we didn't offend him. 
He could say, well, she did, she did, he did, he did. But it didn't happen against him. Before we were saved, he has no reason to stand against us. The bottom line is, he held a remote control. And he went like, hit yourself. And you're like, well, I don't know why I'm hitting myself. Why am I hitting myself? Whoa, let's drink that. Let's smoke that. Let's have sex with that. Let's go chase after that. And you're like, whoa. And then you go, oh, last night, I threw up all over all my friends. What a great night. And you know, and you know what you're doing? You're drumming it up, right? And you're like, yeah, wow, awesome. I'm thinking, not for your friends. Wasn't that great? We got so poop-faced. You know, and you're like, wow, I don't know if I have a disease. I don't know if I made anyone pregnant. I don't even know if I'd recognize the person I could have got pregnant. What a great night. Think about that for a second. That's like somebody holding a remote control and you're going, wow, why am I doing this? You ever do that? You're like, why am I, why am I making these choices? How does that offend him? The crazy part is somewhere down the line, the Spirit of God says, Nathaniel, come out of this. And this is the best part. Is he's going, nyeh, nyeh, and it's always worked. And it's not now. And he's going, this is come, this is come. And you're like, no. Nah. And you're going over here, he's like, this thing must be broken. Come on, come on. Checking the batteries on it. He can't work it anymore. The reason is because God's bigger. And because God is bigger, well, we'll get there in a moment. The enemy can't interfere. The only thing that's left is him trying to, to, to taunt our will. Do you get that? It's like, hey, the enemy looks like a roaring lion, sounds like a roaring lion, but it's like God ripped out his teeth. The only thing left he could do is talk. And you can decide whether you want to entertain what he says. You'll always be a slut. You'll always be a druggie. You'll always be an alcoholic. You'll always be addicted. You'll always be a loser. You know what? I will always be a loser. I lost death. I lost my guilt. I lost my filth. Hallelujah. May I always be. I am the world's biggest loser. Woo! (laughs) Now listen. What do we say to these things? If, listen... If God is for us, who can stand against us? Who has a right to stand against us? Let me tell you the one guy that has a right to stand against us, God. That is the one we did offend. Every time we made a choice to hurt ourselves, we offended him. Every time we chased after something else for satisfaction, we offended him. Every time we said, I'm fine, I can do it myself, we offended him. Every time we tried to live a life that said, I don't need saving, we offended him. Who could stand against us? Listen, God. It doesn't end there. He who did not spare his own son. He doesn't just say God. He says, look it, if God is for us, well, who could be against us? Well, God could be against us. He says, I'll be telling you who could be against us. The one who didn't spare his son. And if he didn't spare his son, what wouldn't he give? In the Father's economy, nothing is of greater value than his own son for which he gave for you. How could God stand against you? Is there any part of your brain that can reason, wrap around the idea that God, God could actually take a stand against you when he gave you his son? Praise God I'm not Jesus. Praise God I'm not that father because I don't love you enough to kill my kids for you. Praise God my father does. 
And if he would give up his own child, which I wouldn't have learned until 15 years ago when I realized how precious it is to have such a child, because of that, if, if I would give that up, there would be nothing left that I wouldn't. Can you imagine after that going, I don't know, if, if God would do that, I don't know, do you think he'd really give me some of his time? Do you really think God could give me some of his mercy? God could give me some of his love? God's like, hello, I gave you my son. To what limit is left? Who could stand against you now? No one. The only one who can legitimately do so is the one who says he freely gave you his only son, his only begotten son. He, listen, and it says here, he didn't spare him, but he delivered him up. Well, then how shall he not also freely give us all things? Now you're going, all things, like the Bentley? No, because the most important thing, the reason he gave up Jesus was to have a relationship with you. Adding a Bentley in your life may take you away from him. He has no interest in adding anything to your life that's going to take you away from him when he gave up his son to get you. Doesn't that, I mean, that, only, that just tells me my God is sane. Does that make sense? If you chased after, I mean, if, you know, if Chris, by the way, he's just, he's just, over, he's gaga over some gal. Like Athena, I have to think of a Greek name, right? Athena. Not the goddess, or all that, but just some gal, right? Athena. And he just loves her with everything. And, and it's Chris's prized possession is he had all of the hair that he lost back then and he had put in a wig. And it sits on this beautiful thing next to his hair, hairdressing out, because I don't know if you know he's a hairdresser. And it sits there and he looks at it and every day he sprays it and combs it and remembers when and he thinks of how precious it is. And then one day he just realizes that if he's really going to buy this girl a ring, he has to sell the wig. Oh. And he does. And as he sells the wig, and he gets on his knee, and he says, here, I gave up everything. I gave up my practice. I gave up everything. I sold everything to give you this ring. And she says, yeah, well, great, but can, now can you buy me a ticket to some place where I don't have to live with you? Think about how horrible that would be. But you know what's crazy is, I, I, honestly, I can do that. I can say, Lord, I know you gave me everything that I need, everything that I need for a godly life. You've given me everything I need, but can I have this too because I think it'll make me happier? I wouldn't want to hear that if I were God. And the most amazing thing is, is that everything that I need, he'll give he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. That's the first of my questions. The second, then, is who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can legitimately bring a charge to stand and say, he did it, she did it. That's the idea. Well, the answer, it says, it's God who justifies. Here's the crazy part. The one who has a legitimate right to stand against you and actually propose a charge is the one who actually made you right. Think about that. Think about how crazy rigged this court trial is. The enemy, though, has made him his way into the courtroom. He has no right to accuse you because he is not the offended party. In the court of law, he has no right to bark. He is in contempt of court to even accuse you. Now, now he's offended, and that should actually tickle you a little bit. Ooh, hurts to lose, doesn't it? Because you lost. 
Who can bring a charge? God can bring a charge, but he justified me. And we don't read God and possibly others. God is the only one who has the right to bring the charge, and God justified you instead. No wonder why he tells us there's therefore no condemnation. Now, with that in mind, listen to this. Isaiah 50 verse 9 says, Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he then who can condemn me if God is my help? It tells us, by the way, that God is greater than our heart even when our heart condemns us. And that's the third question then, is who is he who condemns? Surely the Lord will help me. Therefore, who can really condemn me? Well, if nobody can literally bring a charge against me but God, well, who is it then that could actually condemn me? Who could actually say, well, I condemn you then? Jesus. Look at what it says. It's Christ. But let me tell you, the one who had the right to condemn you died, rose again, and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. I kind of get the idea he's not going to be condemning us. What it tells us is, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation, elasmus, the ransom payment for our sins, but not only our sins, the sins of the whole world. Now, get the idea here. A woman is caught in adultery. Jesus, it's the early morning and he's teaching. We don't even know what he's teaching at this moment. It's in the temple and he's there. And as it's the case, traditionally, ironic to this, or opposite to today, the teacher said everyone else stood. And I, I, I think that probably keeps the listeners from falling asleep. But we just smack you so you're safe either way. Now, now with that, Jesus is kind of down in a, in a position to teach. And as he is, remember what we'll read, for instance, Jesus sat down and taught them. They bring in this woman who's caught in adultery. Now, by the way, clearly from the Torah, it makes clear that when you find a couple caught in adultery, you bring them both there. And as they're both brought there, the question is, who has a legal right to bring the charge? Well, certainly the husband of the woman or the bride of the man. That would be legitimate, wouldn't you think? That would be an offended party who has a right to bring a charge. But because it is something that affects the whole community, the entire community can bring the charge because evil has entered their community. And because evil has entered their community, they have to eradicate that evil from their whole community. So the whole community can bring the charge as a witness. That's a powerful thought. Of course, the scary thing is, is that the woman's caught, and we read in the very act, which would lead you to believe the guy should have been there too, if that's the very act, but he isn't there at this whole thing. And you kind of get the idea this whole thing's a setup. And you get the idea, right? And so, and perhaps you're familiar with it. It's John 8, it's the text, the first handful of verses. And with that, Jesus writes on the ground. And as he writes on the ground, as they're trying to get his attention. And, and there's so many people that want to try to tell you what he wrote on the ground, but Scripture doesn't make that clear, which tells me that couldn't have been the important thing. I've heard one guy back in Chicago say, I know what he was writing on the ground. Shaniqua. Like all these girls and all those guys holding this. I'm like, I guarantee you, no Jewish man 2,000 years ago had a problem with a girl named Shaniqua. That's another story. Nonetheless, one thing I can tell you that happened, as Jesus knelt down to write in the sand, it slowed the temple down a little bit because there was a frenzy, there was a mob rule, and, and they had to get to their senses a little bit. And so they're pressing him and they're pressing him, and finally he just stands up and he goes, all right, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and throw the rocks. As long as, because um, they ask him because they're trying to trap him. And, and, and okay, before I even get there, let me just say this. And I think this is so profound because you want to be like Jesus. I know that. I do too. This is why they think they have him trapped. Please hear me. 
because they know that he's not going to bend on Scripture. They know that. Do they know that about you? That you're not going to bend on Scripture? So when someone asks, do you really believe God created everything? Like one day and then the next day and the next day? I mean, versus our millions of years, diagrams that we had as kids. Do you really believe that? Are you going to bend on that? What about homosexuality? Where do you stand on that? I mean, come on now. What about a Muslim? Are they going to hell? Are you going to bend on that? See, the thing is, when they went to Jesus, they knew he would not bend on it. They wouldn't knew he wouldn't bend on anything. He was wise in how he answered, but he wouldn't bend. But they also knew that he had a, a soft heart for every human being. Do they know that about you? Because I tend to think that normally people see one side or the other. They see somebody that won't bend on Scripture, but won't lean over for the person either. Or they'll see the person that's totally soft, welcome the sinner, but then a little soft on their doctrine too. And Jesus, was, he was hardcore on both sides. How about you? And as he was hardcore on both sides, they think they have him trapped. I mean, this, this woman's caught in adultery, right? I mean, if he doesn't bend on the law, she should be stoned. But he's got a soft spot for her. Ah, we've got him trapped. So Jesus stands up and he goes, well, I'll tell you what, you can throw the stones as long as you're innocent. As long as you've never sinned. As long as you've, if you've, if you've never sinned, go ahead. And then he goes back down. He starts writing in the sand again. Now, if you were the woman caught in adultery, would you go, uh-oh. I mean, what are the odds of all of those people? I mean, how many rocks have to be thrown to start this thing off so that everyone starts throwing them? Aren't you, don't you agree? I think if one person threw a rock, then it becomes stone-fest. What an amazing thing. And I do believe it's why Jesus was writing in the sand in the first place because there needed to be time so that the quickest to throw would be slower. So there she is. I mean, wouldn't you be just, it's it, I'm done, I'm over. Then they all leave. And you hear, and you think they missed. Wow, these guys are bad throws. Aim for the head, aim for the head, aim for the head. Right? And then she like looks up, and then there's Jesus, right? Now, how many people in that area there are completely innocent? How many people are without sin in that area? Just Jesus, just one, right? Could you imagine? Jesus then takes her and he looks at her, and I'll try not to look at any of you ladies because that would be unfair, right? And he, and he looks at her and he says, has anyone condemned you? You could see her, no, no, Lord. And you could see Jesus going, because they're guilty too. Could you imagine Jesus went, but I'm innocent. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been awful? That would have been the worst story ever. Wouldn't it? And she's like, oh, dang it. Stand still, i got a few more rocks here. Wouldn't that have been awful? The crazy part is, we could look at Jesus that way. Because we're like, but you know, I'm not taking my sin as seriously as you do. And Jesus is like, you're right. But I'm not going to condemn you. Because I died for you for those sins. My blood has already covered those sins. And I already knew you'd step into that before I said yes to this relationship. I already knew that. What you're going to discover about your nasty self, like I am, God already paid for that's not reason, that's not license to sin, but it is cause to celebrate. Who is he who has the right to condemn? The one who is innocent. 
and offended, and that's Jesus. But here's the crazy part. It'd be enough if he didn't drop a rock. I mean, it'd be enough if he just kind of went, all right, go. But he is at the, he died and then rose again. And now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He lives to intercede for us. This is the crazy part. I continue to offend him and he continues to remind the Father. Not that dad needs to be reminded. I tend to think it's just to frustrate the enemy. So here's the idea. Mark dies one day and he stands before God. And he stands before the throne. You thought you were getting away with it, didn't you? Okay. That's okay. And there he is, and he stands before the throne. Right? And as he stands before the throne, I'm going to give you a good roll. Don't worry. Just go ahead and sit right there. Okay? You're safe. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. We, we, we all are all aware, right? We're all aware that Bruno's not God. Okay, we're all aware of that, right? Okay. We're all aware of the fact that Bruno knows he's not God, right? Okay. On, I'm just going to pick on Tim. Um, someone's got to be the accuser for a moment. I'm sorry. It's actually not Tim. It's, let's say it's Vim. Vim, right? The accuser. And this is the case. So here it is, and he's standing here, and, and, and the accuser is making these things. He did. He did. Now, he has no right because he's not the offended party, but he's trying to kind of butt into it anyways, right? He did. He did. He did. He did. And this is the one place where the devil doesn't have to lie. Right? Let's be honest. We've given him enough ammunition. It isn't like he'd say about Tim. Oh, remember when he robbed that liquor store? I mean, you haven't robbed that liquor store, have you? Okay, praise God. He would be like, whatever. He would know better. But because he, you know, he's like, okay, well, but he did, he did, he did. He did, he did, he did. Oh, and he said he was going to, but he didn't. And he promised, but he didn't. And oh, if you could see his mind. Woo! How much of that do you listen to before? Let me ask you. If the Lord were to allow this for even one minute, is there anyone in their right mind that would still go, I'm a good person? You really think anyone's going to try that at a moment like that? And as this goes on and on and on, you can imagine, Mark's like, oh, this is not good. But then he has a look over on this side. And so, and on this side is a, I don't want to say bald Jesus, but, uh, (laughs) sorry. And all of a sudden, Someone stands there. And actually, this is actually, there's a, re- you could see the resemblance. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And he stands and he, okay. And as he's kind of had his say, he stands and he says, Dad, can I, can I approach the bench? Can I approach the bench? And we say, sure, son. So he comes on over. Give me a high five, Papa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, as this is the case, all he has to do is go, see that? See that? See this? I paid for it all. Now, he looks at the book, and as he looks at the book, it's covered in blood. And as he sees it covered in blood, every sin covered in blood, every sin, he can't see any sins left. All he sees is a book covered in blood. And he looks over, because, listen, we have an advocate, that's a defense attorney, who speaks to the Father in our defense, But he's not just our advocate. Listen, he is also our ransom. Means he paid for it. So this is the best part. So he says, he did. And he goes, paid. He did. He did. He did. Paid. 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 Paid for it. Paid for it. Paid. Before you even. Paid. Paid. Infinity. Do you get it? 
This is the second most rigged court case in eternity. The first was Jesus when a perfectly, perfectly innocent person was condemned to be a perfectly guilty person so that a perfectly guilty person could stand perfectly innocent in that courtroom. Do you get it? Here's the best part, is that Jesus' was temporary, ours is eternal. Do you get it? And for that I say, praise the Lord. Okay, go and have a seat, you guys. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, listen, listen. Who has a legitimate, who could stand against us? God. But he didn't keep, if he wouldn't give, I mean, this, this is the crazy part. If God wouldn't spare his son, do you really think he's going to now try to play this game with us and say, I'm going to stand against him? Who could bring a charge against us? God, but he's the one who justified us. How could the one who justifies us try to make us guilty when he's the one who made us innocent? Well, who could condemn us? Jesus could, but Jesus stands and defends us. How could he condemn us when he actually defends us? So the only question left is, well, then who can actually change that? And the answer is, no one can. No one can separate you from the love of God. If all of the demons in hell tried to stop, they couldn't. Because who is like our God? No one. Do you get it? Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Mark 5. Mark 5, there is a man that is developed. We know him as the demoniac or legion. We read that he's possessed. Now, we don't read that he has a legion of demons. All we read is, yes, what's your name? And they say legion because we're many. Legion traditionally is 6,000 of your choice soldiers. So people go, that's probably 6,000 demons. I don't know how many demons can fit in a guy. It really doesn't matter. What's pretty obvious is this guy is in bad shape. And what we read is that the man would howl or cry. He would cry at night. As he would cry at night, he would cut himself with stones. He was naked. Nobody could tame him. He was out of control. That's who he was. Now, I couldn't tell you I was possessed, but I could tell you just about every, almost every other thing was pretty much my story. Running around the tombs, hung out where everything dead was. It was just death all around you. That's all you saw was death. But please hear me. We get these verses and we see this guy is in bad shape. This guy is controlled by hell itself. But listen, listen, listen. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, listen, listen. It says, he ran and worshipped him. Do you hear what I just read? That tells me that all the powers of hell itself cannot stop a person who is determined to get to Jesus to worship him. It says when he saw him. Not when the angels or when the demons saw him, they ran. When he saw it, here are all these demons. Which demon in the right mind wants to go, yeah, let's get over there by Jesus. So here's this guy. He's possessed by everything. Can't be stopped by anything. But he sees Jesus from afar and he goes, I'm going. And the, and the demons go, no, you're not. And he goes, that ain't a choice. I'm going. And God says, you ain't stopping him. And off he went. Now listen. Don't tell me how Satan stole your joy. Don't tell me how Satan's stopping you from anything. Because in the end of it all, Jesus says, I am the gate to the sheep. Do you know what that means? you got to get If they're going to get to you, they have to get through him. And the devil's not that quick. He's wise, but not compared to my God. He's, he may even think, oh, he's quick. Compared to what, my God? He spoke the universe into existence with a couple words. How big is yours? Do you think the devil went, hey, check out that. And God's like, whoa, what? Oh, man, not again. You really think that's my God? My God is a shield about me. He is a refuge. 
We sang it, even in French. He's our hiding place. I crawl there and I'm safe. I am safe. Not just kind of safe, sort of safe, a little safer. Safe. You know what that means? And the enemy goes, and you're going to go, I'll answer the door. Don't worry, I got this one. I'm going to go, don't. Just turn to the new landlord and say, it's for you. That's the point. Now, listen. As we go to prayer, and I'm going to praise him some more, because we've already given those poor PowerPoint girls aneurysms tonight, so <laughs> we have nothing to lose. <coughs> I'm sure who wouldn't want to join PowerPoint after the, the stress we've put them under tonight. Um, but please hear me. Who has a legitimate case against you? God who gave his son. But you know what? If he gave his son, he's not going to push it, is he? Who can bring a charge against us? God who justifies. Why would he bring a charge against us when he justified us? Who could condemn us? Oh, Jesus could. But he's the one who died for us, rose again, and is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. You really think he's going to try to condemn you there? Who can separate us from the love of God? Who's going to really stand in God's way? Everything fits into two categories. Creator, created. At all created, created together. Nothing compared to the creator. Our God's so big, he could create something bigger than everything he created already and destroy everything. Think about it. Tonight, have you accepted that gift of Jesus Christ? Because if Jesus is standing here, and here you are like Mark was, and he's standing before the throne today, if that were your day, and the enemy was throwing his accusations, does Jesus stand next to you or not? If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you're trying to stand on your own merit. You're going to tell God you're a good person? Good luck with that. Better yet, stop being so stupid, accept Jesus. Would you please? If you have accepted the gift of Jesus, it is time to start banging on the truth. And to start living like the truth that God told us. Because if we are actually living in this thing, like, well, it sounds like a good theory. Shame on us. No wonder why the world doesn't think we have anything to offer. But if we actually cash in on what this truth tells us tonight, we should actually be on fuego. The world should go, whoa, man, I think I could warm my hands by you tonight. I mean, because there's a reason for that. This is a God who so rigged things that the only thing, the only thing that's ever been an obstacle will be your will. But even with that, he's bigger. And he will use trials. He'll even use your sinful choices to teach you to bring you closer to him. So you think, well, I'm really getting in the way of God's will because I made this really bad choice. God goes, well, the scar that, that you'll get from this will help you. And you're like, I don't like that. God says, you chose it. You can learn more than one way. You know? God says, that wall will hurt you if you run into it. And there will some in the room that will go, note to self, that wall's hard, could hurt. And others go, let's see. <laughs> God, you learn it yet? And they're like, seems kind of hard, but I think I could get through it. God goes, okay. <laughs> and after like three times and you're wiping up your nose, and you're like, I think, okay, you're right, you're right. In the end of it all, both parties go, wall is hard, don't run into that. 
Are you in that place tonight? Are you going to believe Him? Or are you going to end up believing Him? Does that make sense? And that's what I want to end with is this. Please hear me. Every human being on the planet is going to believe not only that God is, but He has a Son, and His name is Jesus, and that He's Lord. Everyone's going to agree with you one day. Everyone is. Some are going to do so and go, you said it, you're right, I agree. Others are going to go, mm, I wish I had actually concluded that earlier. I've heard it say, and I think it was my brother who said, it says that every knee will bow, beat the rush, do it now. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much, so much for your beautiful, beautiful, beautiful word. Thank you for the way you've ministered to us in it, Lord. And I know that, that really it isn't like what we're learning here is something new, perhaps, but maybe just, just trying to apply the truth. God, forgive us for where we intellectually could argue these points, but our heart so desperate for this information. I pray tonight, God, I pray tonight we could honestly, honestly praise you. Not because we're trying to get blessings to come down when the praises go up. Not because we're trying to confuse the enemy. Because the enemy's got to be scratching his head because he once controlled us and now the remote control is broken forever. Because we are now surrendered to the King of Kings and nothing he can do can interfere with that. He could try to argue. He could try to insist. He could try to encourage sin. But in the end of it all, we have the right to say no because I belong to my Father in Heaven. And God, I just pray that we could show the world. Forgive us for what we're trying to look like the dead when you've called us to be different and to stand up among the living. And I just want to openly confess, Jesus, what you've done. Now, saints, if you just want to recommit, and I want it tonight, not because I won't be saved if I don't, but just because I want to, kind of like a burnt sacrifice where you do it just because you want to tell God that He has everything again. Or if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, but tonight is your night, pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray it and I ask you to listen. And at the end, I ask you to give a confident, no wimpy, but a confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I don't want to defend myself. I am a person who is guilty by my own actions. I'm guilty by my thinking. I'm guilty by where my heart's been. But I just want to tell you, that thank you that you would love me so much that though you have a right to bring a charge against me and you have a right to stand against me, God, that you would rather justify me instead. And though, Jesus, you have a right to condemn me as you tell us that all judgment's been given to you. And yet, Jesus, you chose to die for me instead. And if you really wanted to pay for all of my sins, then... I'd be a fool to refuse that. So Jesus, I confess You as my Savior and my ransom dying on the cross for me. But with that then, I want to tell You, Jesus, as You rose from the dead and You have a right to be my Lord, be my Lord. It means my guide, my boss. The one who has a right to lead, to redefine me, reinvent me. So have me now, I'm yours. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.